If you think that psychotherapy is a modern phenomenon, you'd be right, except for one thing. The thing is shamanism. That's right, the witch doctor who goes into a trance and speaks to spirits. The founder of depth psychology, Carl Gustav Jung, believes shamanism had much to teach the therapist about healing the patient. Jung was born in 1875 and died in 1960. He was Swiss and the son of a pastor. His interest in shamanism was rooted in his understanding of the unconscious. Jungian analyst John Merchant explains. Jung came up with a view of the unconscious that included what he called the collective unconscious, which is different to Freud's view, because Freud's view was that the unconscious arose from everything that we've repressed that we don't want to face. Jung was of the opinion that things were somewhat reversed and that we actually start from an unconscious position, um, and, and that this was actually common to all of humanity. And in that, uh, he speculated there were a number of kind of psychic structures which he called archetype that predispose us to experience the world in a certain way. So the archetype signifies a psychological reality that's somehow deeply buried? Deeply in the unconscious, unconscious. and in fact we only know it through the images it throws up and through the projections that it kind of produces. And it would explain for Jung why there are similar mythic stories in cultures that have had no contact with each other. His view was that there was something in the unconscious of what he called a psychoid nature that was completely unconscious and unfathomable. Psychoid? mm, That it actually had a connection with matter on the one hand and with something psychological on the other. So it enabled him to incorporate an idea of instinct that actually led to uh, things to do with uh, spirit and that kind of thing. Well, Mm. instinct is something we think of that's sort of primitive, Mm. uh, pre-rational. Is that why Jung looked to shamanism, something that at that time was considered to be a rather primitive religious practice? Yes, it's interesting. At the time, in the 1930s, he, he saw the advent of things like Christian science and maybe incorporation into Western culture of things like theosophy and Indian yoga. Uh, as representations of a kind of a, a spiritualism that the West had kind of lost uh, following the Enlightenment and uh, the French Revolution. And shamanism he actually saw as one representation of a kind of a lost spirituality that was re-emerging in the West because the psyche of the West had kind of become unbalanced, was his view. Now, how does Christian science, for example, <laughs> represent shamanism? I'm sure we'll get phone calls from Christian scientists. <laughs> well, you may do. And in actual fact, there are only a few paragraphs in Jung's collected works where he actually mentions this. So I have to say, um, I, I really can't comment any further on that, to be perfectly honest. He, he just obviously thought in the 1930s there was some connection between the advent of Christian science and the re-emergence of what he saw as an archaic, archetypal impetus towards something shamanic. And which shamans did Jung turn his attention to? Well, the, as far as we're aware, the only book that he consulted on the topic was Eliade's famous study, which was originally published in 1951 in French. The great anthropologist, Merce mm. Eliade. That's right. And so he's familiar with his work. And I think Eliade did a wonderful job at doing a comparative analysis of shamanic practices across most of the world's cultures, although he seemed to exclude Africa. And Jung saw in the, I guess, the the universal expression of shamanic practices across so many diverse cultures where it sometimes would be very difficult to see uh, any cultural connection. Siberia and Australia would be one example. And yet similar sorts of practices emerged. And so Jung was of the view that, well, this is archetypally driven. 
Well, in those days, certainly anthropology was of growing interest to academics, and one thinks of the work of Weston Labar, the mm. American who looked at the Plains Indians mm. and their shamanic practices. But the term that was so often used then was primitive culture. Was that just what Jung was looking for, a kind of primitive substratum of the human Psyche. Well, he certainly believed that there was a, a primitive substratum, yes, at, at a deep archetypal level in the collective unconscious that would work its way through and out in various cultures and become incorporated into various kind of cultural beliefs and practices and views and ideologies, etc. He seemed to think that, that shamanism represented something of an archaic archetype, represented by things in their imagery like um, tree imagery, which he also saw emerging in medieval Renaissance alchemy, and of course in the paintings of kind of modern persons that were working with him in the consulting room who knew nothing about shamanism or alchemy. And the fact that these similar sort of images were coming up, he, he suggested, well, shamanism may be representing something at the archaic end of what he thought was an individuation archetype. Individuation being mm. the sort of self-realization of the patient? The yes, the kind of idea that sort of deep within the collective unconscious for people there is a self-archetype and in that is their potentiality. And, and to discover that is mm. the aim of Jungian depth psychology? To a certain extent it is, yes. And, and also to discover what might be the blockages for a person to actually individuate, what things have gone wrong in their background and their family story that actually might be preventing that process. Well, shamans, I think, in the popular mind are associated with altered states, ecstatic mm. states. And in fact, from a Western perspective, they often appear mad, frenzied, people who have lost their rational mind. How did Jung see this in a positive light? Well, he was of the opinion that uh, they, of course, had to master what were uh, spirit entities and that they would... I mean, he got this from Eliade's writing, of course, that they would go through a pre-initiatory illness that often came on them at adolescence where they would often go into quite deranged states. But if they couldn't master the spirit that was actually causing that deranged state, of course, they would, they would stay mad. The fact that they could ultimately come to some mastery over the spirit and then use their contact with that spirit to get information from the transpersonal realm for the sake of either someone who was sick or for their cultural group... Um, once they could do that, of course, they could then function as shamans. And so they would sort of go in and out of these kind of trance states, getting information from a transpersonal realm, bringing it back. Uh, so in a way, uh, Jung, alongside, I guess, Eliade's view, they in a sense had healed themselves. So is the shaman then the representative of the clinical psychologist or of the patient? Oh, that's a very <laughs> interesting question. We're looking here, of course, at practices in, you know, very uh, animistic, technologically simple cultures. And I guess to draw a parallel between their function in those cultures and what a psychotherapist might do in our cultures, of course, is a long distance between the two. But I do think there are parallels because uh, the shamans in their cultures would engage with the spirits that were causing the problem. Now, Jung had, a, had one view on spirits is that they were kind of exteriorized psychological complexes. That was one, one take that he actually had on spirit phenomena. And so in a way, the modern psychotherapist, of course, engages with uh, the complexes actually of the patient and works with those and tries to understand what's going on. And so you could probably draw a parallel. Um, I think the other parallel would be uh, in terms of the use of a countertransference phenomenon. Now, that's getting a bit technical, but basically it answers the question, why does this patient make me feel the way that I do? 
uh, and you can actually use that as a means of communication about what actually it is that might be disturbing them. There's also a strong theme, I guess, in the shamanistic experience of suffering, of torture. That is, shamans undergoing a kind of initiatory rite that is painful, Mm. and they come out of it. What sort of parallels there? I mean, one could draw an obvious one that going into clinical analysis is painful. It is. I mean, you're right. In in shamanic cultures, the the indication that they were called by the spirits was how they saw it in their cultures, uh, was the fact that they would go into quite deranged states, often early in life, usually adolescence. And that was an indication that a particular spirit or spirits had kind of chosen this individual. If we look, though, through Western glasses, of course, we, we would be seeing symptoms that would be indicating probably early infant damage that's expressing itself um, in adolescence, coming up in adolescence. That's one interpretation of it. Now, uh, I think, therefore, it is actually quite possible to draw a parallel between that sort of thing and what might be the motivation for individuals who actually move towards being a psychotherapist as a vocation. Most people who go into that kind of vocation are also interested in working through uh, and coming to some mastery of their own kind of interior states of certain states of derangement that they actually want to heal. So I think there is a parallel in the kind of the whole wounded healer idea between modern psychotherapists and and uh, shamans. There's a parallel there, I think. Mm. So the doctor is the patient who then becomes the healer. Well, certainly from a Jungian analysis point of view, it's terribly important that, you know, the central part of their training actually is their own analysis, that they actually work through the areas where, because we've all got pockets of damage. (laughs) So you have to work through your own and use that as a basis, of course, for your work then with patients. Mm. Well, going back to the 30s and 40s and even 50s, I can well imagine that Jung's use of shamanism scandalized some of his readers, particularly when he read the Catholic Mass and explained it in terms of shamanism. Mm -hmm. What was he getting at? In that aspect, where he was running it in his writings on the Catholic Mass, of course, he was moving towards the idea of dismemberment uh, of a god, a god figure, or of the human that's identifying with with the god figure, is actually part of an initiatory procedure that actually leads them to a destiny. And Are you referring there to the crucifixion? I think Jung was probably thinking in those terms that there's actually something about a god man who kind of willingly allows himself actually to, in a way, be psychically and emotionally dismembered. But that is, of course, is a prelude to a rebirth, and of course, in the Christian tradition, that's a resurrection. Ah, so that's a rather positive reading mm. uh, from someone who was himself fairly critical of Christianity. I think, though, he had a certain fascination with the symbolism and the ritual of Catholicism. Mm. Shamanism has certainly grown in interest today. How do shamanistic experts or anthropologists read the way Jung used shamanism? A lot of them are quite aware that, you know, um, he saw it as a particular archetype, and I think they probably sort of aware of an archetypal way of thinking. It's, it, it, it is a way of thinking that has come into kind of contemporary thought and, you know, is now in the Fontana book of modern thought, etc. But from my reading, very few of them have seemed to sort of picked up on it. It's sort of mentioned in passing. Uh, not a lot of them have kind of developed it in any detail. Mm. So um, modern anthropologists don't uh, criticise Jung's use of shamanism as being in any way narrow or exploitive? Well, some certainly do. And, of course, the, there's a whole body of anthropologists who are very critical of the whole Western concept of shamanism anyhow. So it's really quite a diverse field of scholarly research, mm. of course. Mm. Um, 
There are certainly some from an anthropology background like Richard Knoll who have been critical of post-Jungians who've wanted to use Jung's uh, ideas about individuation in relation to shamanism and the critique there of course being that um, individuation is a very sort of western concept that you know, and we're dealing here with cultures that are much more communal and less individualistic. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Well, John, you mentioned the tree symbol early on, and of course, trees are ubiquitous around most parts of the world. Probably not surprising it's been um, a prominent theme. But in the Jungian analysis, it has taken on the importance of an archetype. Can you sort of trace that? Well, it certainly appears in shamanic cultures, and it's uh, not an archetype in itself, but it's more an image that kind of comes up into consciousness that's reflecting something, this is Jung's view, reflecting something about the individuation process. Now, trees are interesting things. They're living, but in a way they don't have a brain. Uh, there's a large part of them that's kind of underground, you know, so they're very good images for the part that you can see, the part that you can't see, the, the fact that, you know, they kind of vegetatively, by definition, grow. Um, it would appear, though, in shamanic cultures that they're connected with the way that the shaman will move between the upper world and the lower world. And so there's probably some speculation around the way Jung was interpreting that image in their culture, which may, which may not have been the way they were actually using it. Uh, he saw it arising again in alchemical imagery. Um, and as we know, even in the Christian tradition or Jew Jewish Christian tradition, of course, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil plays a very central role. Um, so in lots of mythic stories, of course, we know in various cultures they're terribly important. But he was also aware that modern persons would spontaneously draw and come up with tree image. They often would arise in people's dreams or in their active imaginations or in their kind of own artistic expressions. And they do seem to represent something of our own self. And that's often the case, I think, for modern persons. So Jung, looking, therefore, at these cultures over a long period of time, seeing similar imagery coming up, he, of course, concludes that it's all got to do with the individuation which he saw as an impetus in all humans. Jung's interest in shamanism, explained there by Jungian analyst John Merchant, who teaches in the Department of Continuing Education at the University of Sydney. Tune in again next week for The Ark with me, Rachel Kahn.